morning, everybody. I hope this microphone is working. They handed me this today and said, this battery pack is new. We're not sure if it's going to work. So hopefully it works. It's good to be here today. It's always good to, um, to come here and get to preach. And since I'm not pastoring a church anymore, I don't get to preach that often. And when I do, it's to a room full of inmates at the prison where I work. So I'm just going to imagine all of y'all are wearing green uniforms this morning, if that's okay. No, that'd be brown uniforms. Green. I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. And uh, I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 11. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time. And I want to talk about one of the, uh, the deep existential questions that face us as human beings that we might, al- might not always be aware of, but that's kind of always lurking in the back of our minds. And I don't know if y'all are anything like me, I probably spend way too much time pondering the deep existential, sometimes unanswerable questions of the universe, sometimes, quite often probably, to the neglect of more practical matters, my wife would say. In fact, my wife uh, came home a few days ago and I had the day off from work and and she came home, and I guess she had this expectation that since I had the day off, that all, this, all these chores were somehow going to be accomplished. And she comes home, and she recognizes and points out that dishes hadn't been washed, there's clothes on the bed that hadn't been folded, the floor hadn't been swept, to which I responded, true, but look at all these books I read <laughs> while you were gone. So the question that I want to... Um, to dive into this morning is this. What is God's ultimate plan? I believe that God is up to something. And I know that sometimes it can feel like everything is just in chaos and that everything is random and that God really doesn't have a plan. But we have to know and we have to, as as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we have to be anchored and rooted in this truth that God does have a plan and that not only does God have a plan, but that in fact nothing can really come against this plan that God has. That we can try to resist it, and we can try to fight against it, we can try to come against it, we can try to implement our own plans over and above His, but at the end of the day, there is a God, you're not Him, and neither am I, and His plan is going to be accomplished. And His plan is going to be accomplished, and I believe to a great extent His plan has already been accomplished, and it's up to you and I as followers of Jesus to walk in the truth of what God has already done. So with that in mind, let's read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And I can't really see y'all out there, so y'all got to make some noise sometimes just to not let me know necessarily that you're awake, but that you're at least still there. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 11, gives us an insight into what it is that God is accomplishing through the work of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love, He has destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness 
of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He lavished upon us with all wisdom and insight. Now listen to this because He's bringing it around. God has made known... Is that my beard doing that? I'm sorry. Verse 9. God has made known to us the, the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ. Listen, verse 10. As a plan... For the fullness of time to gather up all things in Christ, things both in heaven and things on the earth. So this is what God is trying to accomplish. He has a plan and it includes you, but it's not about you and it's not just for you. It's a universal plan that he is gathering all things together in heaven and on earth under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is all that God cares about. This is what God is doing. He is reconciling all things together. And I'll use that word reconcile several times today. To reconcile means that things that were separated, okay, they were intended to be together, but they were separated. And God doesn't like separation. God doesn't like division. God craves unity, and God craves intimacy. And so God's work is the work of reconciliation. Through the finished work of Jesus, through what Jesus has done in His life, death, and resurrection, that God is bringing together all things in heaven and on earth. This is God's plan. Oftentimes we get caught up in God's plan for us as individuals and we want to know what God has in store for us. What does God want us to do? What does He want me to do with my life? What does God have for me? And it's okay sometimes to think about that, but honestly, y'all, I think that we would have a lot more joy and a lot less stress if for a moment we would stop focusing on what God's plan is for us and step back and look at what God's plan is for the universe. Because regardless of what's going on in our individual lives at this moment, God's plan for the universe is still coming to pass. And in fact, in many ways, has already come to pass. It's irreversible. And so when we look at what God is doing and that He's woven us into this, this is, this is for us to an extent. It includes us, but it's not about us. And that kind of can help us to relax, right? And drop our shoulders. And recognize that we're just part of this grand scheme that God is that God is enacting through the finished work of Jesus so God's ultimate plan according to Ephesians 1 is the bringing together of all things in heaven and on the earth I have a lot of notes I'm going to try to read through these as fast as I can if I'm reading too fast if y'all can't understand what I'm saying throw something at me and I'll slow down I'll try to get my beard to cooperate in the meantime. So the first thing that we recognize is that this is God's plan. And let me just see. If you understand what I'm saying, you agree. This is God's plan. The bringing together of all things in heaven and on earth. You agree with that. Just raise your hand. Okay? It's okay if you don't raise your hand. Okay? Because a lot of times, y'all, when we talk about what God's plan is, we get very confused. Because we can become so individualistic. Even though God is working with us on the inside still, it's all a part of something bigger than just us. And the first thing that we recognize 
is if it's about God bringing together all things in heaven and on earth through the ministry of Jesus, that means it's not just about us as individuals going to heaven when we die. That's not the good news. That's part of the good news, but that's not the whole good news. It's not just about you as an individual making it out. No. And that brings us to the, to the second thing is it's not about destruction. So sometimes, especially in evangelical Christianity, I promise you this, even though I, would, I am within that realm, I am an evangelical Christian, there is a certain kind of sickness where we think that God is going to destroy the world and spare us. But God's ultimate plan is not destruction. God's ultimate plan is redemption, the redemption of all things, and that includes the earth. And I feel so happy to be in Chapel Hill that I can say this without apology. There is no salvation for people outside of the salvation of the earth. The saving work of God through Christ includes the earth. God made the earth before He made us. And He made us out of the earth. And when God made the earth, He stepped back and looked at it. And He didn't say, well, this will do for now. But I'll just wipe it out one day. No, He looked at it and He said, this is good. So God doesn't waste anything. Somehow, some way, God has a way of redeeming everything, even the things that we would say are bad things, even the things that are mistakes that we make and failures on our part, which we're all prone to. God even has a way, once we submit to Him, to even begin to redeem those things. So God can redeem all things, y'all. God is going to put the whole picture back together. And I promise you that when He does it will be better than it was at the beginning. It's not just taking us back to what it was in Eden. It's going to be even better. If anybody in here has ever had a broken bone, then you know that when that bone is set and when that bone heals, the bone doesn't go back to the way it was before it was broken. In fact, the, the bone is stronger and healthier after it was broken. So this is God's plan to put things back together that they'll be even better than they were before. Are y'all with me? Okay. All right. So the question then is how, how is God going to do this? And, and, and Paul actually tells us here in Ephesians chapter 1 that he's doing this through Jesus. So everything is done through Jesus. Jesus is the vessel through whom God accomplishes this work. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is putting everything back together. God is reconciling all things. Right now, there's a schism. There's a division between heaven and earth, but this was never God's intent. And it's not part of the final plan. God is going to seal that back together so that there will be no division between heaven and earth. He's doing this through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, here's the part where I read, okay? When Adam and Eve, who were created in God's image, chose to disobey God and eat the forbidden fruit. Y'all with me so far? When they did that, 
even though there was no division at the beginning, they're created in God's image, they're walking in perfect harmony with God. When they chose to disobey and eat the forbidden fruit, it created separation. Y'all say separation. Okay, this is the beginning of kind of the downfall. Separation between God and humans. Separation between humans and other humans. Separation between humans and creation. None of these divisions were part of God's original plan, but this is what happened when, when Adam, when mankind through Adam chose to disobey the one command of God. Chose to try to act independently of God. It created separation. Through disobedience comes separation. And through separation comes death. Again, through disobedience comes separation. And through separation comes death. Adam gave the evil one the power of death. And the evil one has been using it against us ever since. But Jesus took back the power of death. Number one, by living a holy life. Now listen, any presentation of the gospel that does not include the actual life that Jesus lived, the, the things that he did, the words that he spoke, the actions that he took, the way that he conducted himself on a daily basis, any presentation of the gospel that doesn't include how Jesus lived is not the gospel. Because first and foremost, Jesus had to live a certain kind of way. And people say, well, Jesus, he was just born to die. Well, if that was the case, then why did God go through so much trouble to hide Jesus when people were trying to kill him as a baby? If all he needed to do is be born without a sin nature and then die, then why didn't God just let him die then? Because Jesus had to live a certain way. He had to show us. He had to lay a pattern of life. The same pattern of life that he wants us, ourselves, to walk in. So by living a holy life, by entering into death, and by coming out the other side on the third day, Jesus undid the disobedience of Adam. When we look at Jesus, and we look at the way he lived, we look at his compassion, we look at his selfless service, we look at the way he loved people, we look at the way he obeyed the Father completely without reservation, even when it cost him everything, when we look at all that, we see what Adam did going in reverse. Because Jesus' perfect obedience undid Adam's disobedience so that that no longer has a claim on us. Adam's disobedience and rebellion brought separation and death. But the perfect submission of Jesus brings about unity and life. I need to know y'all with me right now. Okay. Jesus, he undoes all that. And I can't for the life of me begin to comprehend why we focus so much on sin. Because it doesn't have any power over us anymore. And it doesn't compare to the love that God has for us. Man, look, God can even... I'm not saying it's never good to sin. I'm not saying go out and sin. But look, even the sins that we've committed... When we, when we submit everything to God, this is just how creative God is and how loving and how good God is that God takes even the sins that we committed and he somehow weaves it into the process and works even our sins for our redemption. 
once we submit to him. Now, up until that point, we're still living under an illusion that we can be independent of God. That's false. We got to be in complete submission to him because our lives, our very lives, our very breath, every breath that we're taking, we're completely dependent upon him. We live because he lets us live. Because he takes joy and delight in giving us life. So Jesus reconciles all things together through his life, death, and resurrection. In just a moment, I'm going to read a passage from Colossians chapter 1, which mirrors this passage in Ephesians 1. And we're going to talk about how many times the phrase, all things, is used. Listen, when he says all things, he means all things. Reconcile all things together through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So let's talk about some of those things he's reconciling. White and black, reconciled. Male and female, reconciled. Democrat and Republican, reconciled. Somebody said good luck. (laughs) Who said that? One day, today is not that day, but one day we will recover our capacity to think as Christians. And when we do that, it's going to come through the process of us beginning to forget how to think as Americans because we have aligned ourselves so tightly with these broken, corrupt, temporal systems of this world that we have lost the capacity to think as Christians. If you even look at us as Christians, y'all, we are divided, Republican and Democrat, we are divided along party lines, even as Christians. So that we've kind of lost the capacity to think as Christians, but we know how to think as a Republican or we know how to think as a Democrat, and that's wrong. So you have a situation like we have now where you have 2,000 migrants coming up from Central America, coming up through Mexico, trying to come up and and find safety in the United States. People who are so desperate, who are so in need, and even if you look at that, Christians are divided along party lines about how to respond. Let me tell you something, and I'm not trying to get political. That is a no-brainer. How we respond as Christians to 2,000 people who are in that much desperate need, who have nothing, who are in such peril, whether or not we respond to them with compassion and love should be a no-brainer for us. That's a slam dunk. We should not even have to think about it. We should not even have to discuss it. But we do because we're divided along party lines. And God help us. Because Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He wasn't just pointing to his literal homelessness, but to his ideological homelessness. Because Jesus refused, refused to make his home within any of these broken temporal systems of this world. And it made him the enemy of everybody because he spoke the truth in love. When his final work is done, we won't think like politicians anymore. But we will recover our 
innate capacity to think as Christians. I didn't plan on getting into all that, but I did. So reconciliation. Reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. Reconciliation between Christian and non-Christian. Why is there such a division between Christian and non-Christian? One of my favorite things to say is, if you can only be a Christian to other Christians, you're not a very good Christian. No offense, but you're not doing it right. It should be easier, really, to be a Christian to non-Christians. To show the light of Christ. To people maybe who have not had an encounter with Christ yet. Reconciliation between light and darkness. Reconciliation we've already spoken of between heaven and earth. Reconciliation between death and life. And actually, again, all this has already taken place because the work of Christ has already been finished. We just need to submit to it and walk in it and manifest it. The reconciliation of death and life. If anybody's ever planted a garden, you put a seed down in the dirt. This doesn't make any sense. We think it makes sense, but it doesn't. You're burying the seed. And then something grows up out of the dirt. And everybody just thinks that's normal. That is not normal. I don't know how that happens. So what are we looking at? When we bury a seed in the dirt and a plant grows up and stuff grows on the plant that we can eat, are we looking at life or are we looking at death? Both. We can't even tell what we're looking at anymore. The reason is life and death have been reconciled. And for that reason, we should be able to look at that and realize that when it comes to death, we have nothing to fear because life and death are really just opposite sides of the same coin. Jesus has already reconciled life and death together. So there is such thing as death. Death is real, but death is not what it appears to be. Because all death leads to life, and all life comes from death. Jesus has already set in motion this process of reconciliation. All right, I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And again, this, is, uh, this again is written by Paul, and this echoes exactly what he said in Ephesians 1. Verses 3 through 11. He's speaking of Jesus. He says, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him... Wait a second, let me back up. I want you all to do something for me. As I read this, I want you to count how many times the phrase, all things, is used in this passage. Verses 15 through 20. Everybody good with that? Okay. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him, all things... In heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. 
How many did y'all count? Five, six? Six, I think, if you, if you count the everything. Yeah. Let's go with six. Let's go with it. And that short passage. So, again, Paul is emphasizing, yes, I mean that too. Yes, I mean that too. The first time he says all things, yeah, but what about this? Yes, that too. How many times do I have to say all things before you understand that I'm saying all things? All things. Brought together, reconciled, made whole. This is God's plan. Okay? This is God's plan. That not one person be lost. That nothing be wasted. That all things be brought together in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you something about God. He will go through hell and high water to get it done. Motivated by our fiery love. And He will not stop until it's accomplished and until it's made manifest in the here and now. So a couple of questions. And then I'm going to wrap up. My daughter told me last night, Daddy, you know you only have to preach like 10 or 15 minutes. And I said, no, I didn't know that. Okay. So the first question is this. If all this is true, y'all, seriously, and we're saying, oh, yeah, Jesus, all things come together. But why don't we see it? Because we live in a world right now where all we can see are divisions. And it seems like the divisions are becoming more and more impassable. Am I right? It just seems like what used to be schisms, what used to be fractures, have become chasms. That's what it seems like. Well, how can this be true when there's so much separation and it seems like these divisions have been brought to the surface, which I actually think is a blessing, if there's any blessing in all of it, because the divisions were already there, and if they're there, we might as well bring them out into the light so that we can see them. The reason that there's still so much separation and death Think about it like this. Even though the, the, the work of Christ has been accomplished, has anybody ever been in a pond and you drop a pebble in the center of a pond? You drop a tiny pebble in the center of the pond, and what happens to the ripples? The ripples start going, and eventually the ripples will work their way to the shore. Now, it might take a long time, and it might seem really insignificant to drop that pebble, and it might take a while for those ripples to work their way all the way to the shore, but the pebble has been dropped, so it's inevitable. Nothing can stop those ripples. They are proceeding to the shore. And through the finished work of Jesus Christ, the pebble has already been dropped. There is no stopping it. We're living in a time right now where the ripples have not worked their way all the way to the shore, but they are coming, they are coming, they are coming. And nothing can stop them because the pebble has already been dropped. So the reconciliation, the redemption of all things is inevitable. Perfect harmony in the universe, perfect harmony between life and death, heaven and earth is inevitable. It's going to happen. Because in God's mind, it has already and he's already done everything he needs to do to make it happen. The second question then is, what do we do in the meantime? Now, there are those who think that our task now is to wait passively for those ripples to 
work their way. Our task is to wait passively while, while God works uh, this miracle of reconciliation and redemption. But check it out. We are His body, right? The New Testament refers to us now as the body of Christ. We are His hands and His feet. Since we are His body, this is something that Jesus wants to do through us, which means we cannot be passive. The longer we are passive, the more we delay the inevitable. And we can get really good at delaying the inevitable. This is something that Jesus is trying to do through us. He wants to use us, y'all, to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth. And we have to make ourselves available to him. We have to submit to him. We have to allow ourselves to literally become possessed by the personality of Jesus so that we can carry out his work of redemption and reconciliation in the world. If we don't do it, then we're just delaying the inevitable. We're stalling the work of God. As followers of Jesus, which is what we're supposed to be, we must bring into the light that which has already taken place. Y'all, this is good news. And I'm telling you right now, believing it in my heart is like medicine for me. And it makes me excited. And it makes me happy. Because I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, not just because somebody told me, but because God showed it to me, that all of this has already taken place. It's already done. And all we got to do now is relax and walk in it. He's already done the work. We submit to Him. We open ourselves up to Him. He takes possession of us. He does His work through us. We bring to light that which has already taken place. So there's no pressure. So here are a few ideas. And then we're going we're gonna to close with a time of communion together. Here are some ways that we can enact what Jesus has already done, that we can reenact what Jesus has already done. First, seek forgiveness from those that you have wronged. If you have wronged somebody, then you need to go and seek forgiveness from that individual. Seek reconciliation. As the New Testament tells us, that we should live at peace with all people as much as it depends on us. Now, we can't control how they respond. Do you see what I mean? They might still want to have nothing to do with us. But at least we did our part. That we went to them and we sought forgiveness because, again, we're seeking reconciliation. God does not want there to be animosity. He does not want there to be enmity and strife. He does not want there to be division. Remember, God is obsessed. God craves unity and intimacy. Second, Seek the restoration of broken relationships. Whether it was you, maybe you were in the wrong, maybe another person was in the wrong, maybe you were both in the wrong. Y'all, I promise you, I had to apologize to my wife every day for something. One time a man gave me, he said, you want some good marital advice? This is, I was kind of a newlywed at that time. And I said, sure. And he said, when you wake up in the morning, Look at your wife and say, I'm sorry. And I said, for what? He said, doesn't matter. Just do it. But we've got to learn to say, I'm sorry. We've got to learn to seek the restoration of broken relationships. It might make us feel good to say, to walk away from somebody and to push somebody away. It gives us a feeling of power. But this is not the coming of the kingdom of God. 
Okay? This is not what God desires for us. So we seek the restoration of those broken relationships. Third, become friends with someone who is different than you, somebody who thinks differently than you, somebody who is of a different religion than you, somebody who is of a different political persuasion than you. Sit down and have a conversation with somebody and try not to yell. Try to listen. If you do yell, just listen first. But have conversations and cultivate relationships with people who are not like you. Because, y'all, it is an extremely dangerous thing if your whole circle are people who look like you and think like you. That is a very dangerous place to be. Because you can be possessed by the truth, but you cannot possess the truth. You can be owned by the truth, but you cannot own the truth. So you need to seek other people because there's a big picture here and God is the only one who can see the whole picture. You can see a little piece of it. And you get a greater glimpse when you reach outside of your circle and you cultivate relationships with people who are in different circles. Finally, I'm going to say this and then we'll pray and take communion. Take care of the earth. Remember that the restoration of the earth is part of God's plan. When I, when I preach this at the prison, believe it or not, that prison is one of the most beautiful places. There's lots of grass. There's gardens, flowers. I tell people, do not throw trash on the ground. If you see trash on the ground, pick it up and throw it away. God gave us the earth. God takes delight in the earth. We should take the delight in the earth. But we should not destroy the earth to further our own self-interest. We're not given permission to do that. Because the restoration of the earth is part of God's plan. All things means all things. All right? Okay, so we're going to take communion this morning, which we're going to celebrate the body and blood of Jesus. That is through his physical body, really, through his physical life, that Jesus accomplished this work of restoration and reconciliation. We are, um, after I pray, we're just going to have one station set up on this side, I believe. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Somebody correct me. Uh, and there will be a gluten-free option. Y'all want some of that gluten-free atonement. There will be a, a gluten-free option over here as well. Okay? So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And we thank you for the good news this morning that everything that needs to be done has already been done. We thank you for the work that you started and finished in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for what it means for us and that you, you just did this out of your out of the depth of your love for us that you sent Jesus to live this holy, devout, compassionate, loving, empathetic life that was about others and not himself. And he showed us how to lay ourselves down. And then he invites us to walk in his way, to follow his example, to pattern our lives after his life. So as we come this morning and we receive these elements, the body and the blood, we do so that we might be empowered from the inside to live as Jesus lived. And as we take these elements, the body and the blood of Jesus, we remember the saying that we are what we eat. And that as we consume the body and blood of Jesus, that we might actually, somehow, some way, as you perform this miracle in us, that we might actually become more like Jesus. May it be so. May you do it for our benefit, for your glory, for the ushering in of your kingdom upon the earth. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.